Welcome to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. If you have any questions about mortgages or real estate, give us a call at 521-TALK. That's 521-8255. Welcome to the last weekend in May. Hello, Mr. Napolitano. Buongiorno. Mr. Rushforth. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Frankie. Stephen, what are you mad at me? <laughs> <laughs> I assume your home survived the storm last week. Yeah, you know what's funny is I was, well, it's not funny. I was actually driving up to the cottage and I was right almost in the eye of it going through Dunrobin again. It was, it was scary. I mean, my car, I drive a pretty heavy car too. My car was rocking back and forth. And it's sad to see the devastation of a lot of people. I know one of the worst hit areas is, is the beautiful area in Navin. Uh, and they are like all million dollar homes and they are just getting crushed out there. It was awful. But there's lots of communities, lots of people still without power. I mean, my girlfriend's mom has been out, out of, without power for ages. So uh, your guys' homes uh, go okay? Yeah, all good here. No, we uh, we were out until Wednesday, but I uh, I made what I what my friends and my wife thought was a stupid investment in March that ended up working out well. I ended up getting one of those Generac generators, which hooks up to the natural gas in your house. The minute you lose your power, it kicks on and you have whole house power. So uh, it did kick in on Saturday night. And I was lucky that my whole neighborhood was without lights or power right up until Wednesday night. But fortunately for us, we had power. And my kids, all three of my kids who didn't have power, were able to come over. And, and we kind of, you know, it ended up being some good family time. Although you're right, Paul, absolutely devastating. Driving around the city, yep. I cannot believe what a 10-minute storm did to the city. It's incredible. Yeah, it is crazy, yeah. That uh, that Generac generator is something I'd probably need for the office because my, my East End office, my power was out for, I don't know, probably 12 hours, and there was you know a little bit of water coming out my sump pump because, you know, that huge hill that's behind right. me. So yeah, that's I right. Have to, i got to invest in that too, I think. <laughs> is that enough to power both kitchens, Frank? <laughs> it powered powered my electric car powered it powers every, it's incredible it just runs off natural gas so uh you know it ends up costing about 30 bucks a day in natural gas but well worth it i mean you know look at the, the food that all the people threw away and all the inconveniences and uh you know at the end of the day it was worth it uh you know it, it, it was a pretty big expenditure up front and you know, everybody said, what, you lose power for two, three hours, usually. It's not a big deal. And I said, I agree. My my fear is losing power, and not necessarily in May. Thank God it was May, and it wasn't November, December, January, February. It would have been a lot worse, I, I think, if it was those four months for sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You talk about people losing all their food and stuff like that. I went to the local grocery store the other day just to pick up some chicken for fajitas, and there was nothing on the nothing. shelves. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> no meat whatsoever. Now, yeah. from a practical point of view, if you've... Listed and sold your house, you go through a storm and there's damage, you are responsible to repair it before closing, correct? 100% you are responsible to repair it before closing. I had a little uh, fence, fence issue here in my East End home when I sold, and I had to fix it. It was nothing major, but, you know, my fence came loose a little bit, so I had to fix my fence. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I was thinking about people who actually sold their house and, uh, you know, closing very soon and, you know, that their fence fell down or if something happened major to their house, it's there's going to be a problem on closing and it has to be fixed. And I mean, it just has to be. So if you have and a good luck trying to find tradespeople to fix yeah. it these days, I mean, they're, yeah. so, they're all so busy. You know, let's give a big shout out though to the hydro workers. I mean, good job. I mean, you know, under trying circumstances, they've, you know, as much as, you know, some of us lost power for longer than we wanted. I mean, this was a monumental task and uh, good for them. I mean, I, I was driving around last night, went to a friend's dinner last night and, uh, 
uh, you can see all the trucks still working. I mean, this is 11 o'clock, 11.30 at nighttime. So yeah, thumbs right. up for them. Yeah, yeah. Good, good point, Frank. Hands off yeah. to them, too. I mean, that's some of these guys probably, and, and girls, some of these gals and, and guys probably lost power themselves, and they were out trying to restore power for everybody else, but they didn't empower themselves. Yep. So, so let me ask you in this uh, scenario, Paul, let's say you, you get half your shingles blown off. Is it up to you to decide whether to patch or put a new roof on, or do you have to discuss that with the person you've sold the house to? It, it, honestly, it all depends on how bad it is. I mean, if, you, if you're able to, for example, that big windstorm we had, I don't know, maybe two months ago, I hadn't sold my house yet. My house hasn't really hit the market yet. And I lost a good chunk of shingles, like maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 shingles, which is a decent chunk. Um, and I said to the guy, I said, you know, should I be replacing my roof? And it's, it's in good shape or can I patch it? And he says, I can patch it to make it just like it was before. And I said, okay, perfect patch it. And you would never notice the difference. However, if you lose half your roof yeah. and, and you know, the patch job is going to look like crap, you are going to have to replace that shingle, but it's a discussion with the new buyer as well. The new buyer might be like, you know what? Let us do it because we want to put the you know the forty year shingles on. Let us pay for it. Um, or and then what, it's an insurance job, though, isn't it? Like like wouldn't the insurance have a say in that too? Because yeah, but the things, homeowner would have insurance for that. Things like shingles yeah. are prorated, though, right? So you don't get the full value mm-hmm. of a new roof. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for, for sure. But yeah, I'm I'm assuming. I mean. I'm, I'm driving around now looking at places that are for sale and I'm looking up going, Oh God, they got to replace those shingles, you know, because of the, just because what happened with this storm. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky situation when you have a, uh, you know, what happened in, in this storm doesn't happen very often, but you know, you say that over the last four years, look what we've gone through with pandemic, yeah. with the floods, tornado. with the, with the tornado in Dunrobin that went all the way through the, the Dunrobin core there uh, with this, what happened? I mean, they, they, it was a mini tornado. Like it, there was, there was a lot of destruction and, and a lot of people. We've gone through a lot of crap over the last four years, for sure. I was thinking of you through this, Frank, because I was thinking, boy, if you don't have a home equity line of credit, you should have one now. <laughs> yeah, no question. I mean, uh, you know, having something as a backup is always a good idea uh, in scenarios like this. Now, I think insurance will cover some of the damages if it's major. Uh, but you know, for a lot of people, it's just minor damage. It's not worth making an insurance claim. Uh, so therefore you're right. You have to have some funds to repair whatever the problem is. And having that home equity line of credit is always a good idea when you've got enough equity in your home that you have access to it. Hey Frank, I was reading an article this week that more and more people are going to uh, private lenders now because of the qualifying conditions. Are you seeing the same thing? Absolutely. No, no ends, ifs, or buts about it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, um, you know, from the mix standpoint, the advanced mortgage investment corporation standpoint, it's almost like cherry picking right now. I mean, there's, there's so much need for it and, uh, you get to pick the deals you want to do and really, you know, take on the safe ones, which is great for our investors. But at the end of the day, I mean, people are having a hard time qualifying, whether it's one thing or another. And I was, you know, talking before we got on the show about this client who called me yesterday and was given the runaround. And listen, in every industry, there's there's a handful of people that should not be in the industry. And in this case, this mortgage broker uh, pre-approved this client, even though this client was going through a consumer proposal, buying a house with 10% down, and there was no reason uh, that this person should have been led to believe, the client should have been led to believe that they were going to get approved for, for a mortgage with 10% down while they're in a consumer proposal. So, I, I mean, that's where private lending comes in. And in this scenario, again, you know, lucky for her, I mean, she ended up purchasing a home from a builder 18 months ago. So the house has gone up by $170,000. So therefore, on the private lending side, we're able to approve the mortgage based on the property value instead of the purchase price. 
Therefore, she's got, you know, she's able to get a mortgage uh, where with just a 10% down, it was impossible for her to get a mortgage. Is it you know, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a mortgage broker, and I can tell you that she was never getting a mortgage with that. Yeah. No, like, like it's, you know, her credit scores in the fives. I mean, uh, everything was sideways on it. And for some reason, this mortgage broker, you know, told her and, and she was not even halfway through her consumer proposal when, when she bought 18 months ago and gave her a pre-approval letter and didn't say to her, you need to pay off your consumer proposal. Now you need to reestablish credit. Now didn't give any advice, just gave her a pre-approval letter. Of course they put all their outs on the bottom. So they've got outs, but it, they still led the customer down the wrong path. And I, and, and I was straight up with her. We're going to do private mortgage to begin with, but there's an exit strategy here. You're going to pay off your consumer proposal now. And at the end of the day, a year from now, we're going to be able to go to an alternate lender, not a, not a traditional lender, because you need to be two years out of your pro, uh, consumer proposal, plus reestablish credit to be able to get back into a traditional lender's uh, books. Hey, Frank, is it easier to qualify for a variable than a fix these days? A little bit easier because um, you you qualify based on the five and a quarter uh, percent rate instead of a contract rate plus two. And with the fixed rates being in the fours today, that means, you know, you're having to qualify five and a quarter instead of six point something. Uh, so it makes it easier for many customers. It's the path they want to go anyway. So it's not even whether they qualify or not. They've decided they want to go with a variable rate mortgage. Um, you know, a lot of the clients that are calling, it's oddly enough, they don't even ask me for the advice. They think that the mortgage rates have peaked already or they're close to peaking when it comes to the fixed side. So the variable makes a lot of sense for them. But isn't that a uh, big hole? Isn't that a big hole in qualifying though? Because you can qualify for a variable at less and lock in the day after. Well, that's just it, right? But now when you're locking in, so if you're locking in two months from now, the risk is that if rates have continued to go up then you're going to lock in at a higher rate. But you're right. I mean, that's there's a hole in the whole. Right now, that's the gap in, in the policy. How they fix it, uh, I don't know. But, uh, you know, one of the ways they can fix it and say everybody qualifies or whatever, yeah. the five-year contract rate is plus two. But, you know, we went through months of having to qualify five and a quarter, even though, you know, the contract rates were significantly less on fixed mortgages. So I, I, I guess it's all working itself out. Well, I'll tell you, if I was tight, that's what I'd do. I'd get a variable, qualify, and then lock in right away, even the next day. Yeah, I'll tell you, though. If very, I wanted to lock in. Yeah, yeah. Very few percentage of people, though, are that tight. Like, like you're either in or you're out. It's so difficult. Like, that, like, there's not a lot of people today that would qualify for a variable and not a fix. I mean, you either qualify or you don't. Um, again, it's tough. I mean, I mean, Paul will tell you. I mean, I, I, I was looking at this builder who apparently has homes available now, which I didn't think there was any homes available, but their townhouses inside units, not even in units, are in the high sevens. And I'm thinking, no wonder they're available. Like 1,560 square feet and like almost 800,000 for an inside townhouse doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. And I think, and and it's priced people out, even first time home buyers, they priced them right out. That's, that's the segment of the market that used to be the booming segment of the market was mm-hmm. the townhouses and the small singles. The problem being now, is the townhomes are so expensive, you can spend an extra hundred fifty dollars to $100,000 and get a nice single. I mean, I look at you know my, my girlfriend's single family home that just sold. There's townhouses selling for that price. Would you rather have a single or a townhouse? So, I yeah. mean, there's a lot, of peop- a lot of people who are, I mean, there's a lot of townhomes on the market right now. When you go into a lot of the suburbia areas, it's majority of townhomes. 
Is it a good idea as an investment, Paul? Let's say let's say you're moving in with somebody for the first time to buy a townhouse now as a backup in case things don't work out. <laughs> Steve, Steve, everybody, everybody knows you're talking about me. Steve. Everybody knows that I. I'm moving in with my girlfriend. Yes, yes, yes. But you know what? No, I don't need a backup plan, Steve, because I know this is going to work. <laughs> hey, it's so quick. I guess Josh didn't want to work with you for very long, huh? No, Josh Josh was so sick of me. He said, I got to get this thing sold quick. 521-TALK, sure. 521-8255. We'll be right back. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back to the phones we go and say hello to Connor in Ottawa. Hello, Connor. Good morning. Morning. Um, Good, thanks. My question has to do with rentals. I'm wondering if um, given rates have spiked and house prices spiked yet again, mortgage payments obviously are much higher than they were. Uh, even just three months ago. I'm wondering, is anyone who's buying a rental property today able to be cash flow positive, or is that just not realistically possible these days? The only- I don't think it's realistically possible if you're looking, you know, we were just talking before the break, townhouses in the upper sevens, low eights. I mean, it, it's never going to be cash flow positive when you're looking at that and what rates where they are. Even with rates where they were a year ago, it wouldn't be cash flow positive because you can only get so much rent for a townhouse. I think the answer is buying in the outskirts a little bit where you can get some homes for a little bit cheaper and some of them have two units, right, Paul? Yes. So let the real estate agent answer the real estate question. And yes, that is correct. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very hard to be cash flow positive right now with a rental. The only way you can be is if you get number a number of doors under one roof. So a duplex, a triplex, something like that. The problem being is they're so expensive. So trying to be cash flow positive in this market is very, very tough. However, the prices are going up so high that you are building equity as your tenants paying down a majority of your rent, you're building equity. So, but it's a, you're right, Connor. And it's, it's a great question because I've always said on this show that if you are not cash flow positive, that is not a good investment, but I, I you know, you can still find good investments that aren't cash flow positive, but you're building equity as the prices skyrocket. How much of a deposit would you need to be cash flow positive these days? What percent? Depends on the property. I mean, obviously, if you're paying eight hundred thousand dollars for a for a townhouse today, or let's even say seven hundred. Let's say you got a, a deal on a townhouse at seven hundred thousand. I mean, just the mortgage on seven hundred thousand. If you borrowed, even if you used the down payment from your line of credit. Your mortgage payment would be in the range of about thirty-five hundred dollars, not even counting taxes. So, by the time you put your taxes in, your you're at four thousand bucks. Well, what are you going to get on a townhouse, Paul? Twenty-two hundred, maybe? Yeah, twenty anywhere from depending on the size of it, anywhere from two thousand to twenty-three, twenty-four hundred. So, it's, yeah, you're you're way under underwater there. Yes. So then, you know, this tells me maybe you should have a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage. So, if you're paying seven hundred for it, you need a, you know, if you had three hundred grand in your bank account. If you use that as a deposit down payment, then maybe you're cash flow neutral at that point. But, you know, the question is, Paul, you know, there's a lot of people that bought investment properties over the last years. You know, I've had people saying, I wonder if I should just sell it now and cash out. Like, is it worth it to cash out? In many cases, though, you know, I have discussion with them. Well, you only have a $280,000 mortgage, like your cash flow positive, actually. So, you know, you don't have to sell it unless you need the money for something else, then sell it. But from a real estate standpoint, 
like, you know, I don't think we think real estate market's going to crash. I mean, you know, I've heard some agents say that they think it's going to crash and, you know, you should list your house now before the market crashes, which I think is bogus. But uh, what do you think, Paul? Well, I, I think we're, we're not going to, there was a good article this week that came out and said, crash or correction. And I think it's more like a correction. We've seen the average sale price skyrocket for the last two, two, two and a half years, really. I mean, it's been up, it's up over, it's uh, 40, 42% over 2020 and 2021. And we're already up 13% right now. So, you know, we are going to have a little bit of a correction and that is not a crash. When I say a correction, I mean a flattening. Um, however, the reason I say it's going to be a correction and not a crash is because we have no inventory. It's very hard to crash when you have no inventory. Buyers have, there's always people that have to buy. So not only that think, though, Paul, is, Ottawa is a unique city is where it should be right now. Yeah, I believe so. I believe so too, Steve. I mean, for the longest time, we were the cheapest capital city in, you know, in the world, who knows? I mean, we were, we were a really cheap capital city and now we're just catching up to the, you know, the other major cities like the Toronto's and the Vancouver's and I mean, we're not that high, but we're, 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 we're accumulating faster than that, what they're accumulating, but we're catching up to other major cities now. And, and this is probably where we should have been. I think we've been very lucky in Ottawa to have such a low average sale price. I mean, lucky when I mean buying in properties and buying investment properties. Um, and now we're, we're just, we're probably where we should have been years ago. And, you know, so to see these increases so quick, I know it seems like a bubble, but it's not a bubble and nothing's going to burst. Another question, Connor? It's, yeah, it's just interesting about capital cities. I heard we were the cheapest capital city in the whole country. Oh, easily. <laughs> easily. Yeah, easily. Yeah, no. Um, no, I mean, we're not the cheapest capital city in the country right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. We're the only I know, buddy. I know, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know you well enough, Connor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just, I do have one other uh, question, though. So, and I've asked this before. I've said my, my long-term goal, our long-term goal, now that we have three kids, is to live in a four-bedroom, let's say, close to 2,000-square-foot home. But... There's just no way that we can get into that market, even if we leverage what we've, the equity we've built. So the income we make, we can't qualify. I'm almost wondering, and maybe you guys have seen this with other clients, if people who own homes upgrade by renting and with the end strategy of, let's say, three to five years later, actually buying. So we would keep the two properties we own, but rent a bigger house and then hopefully ultimately be able to buy that house or a house similar to it. Not much anymore, eh, guys? Yeah, I don't like that idea, Connor. The problem I see is once you get into that rental trap, sometimes you never get out of that rental trap. And I know you'd have the two properties to move into, but I, I, yeah, I would, um, I, and I know your situation and I know you've been trying to look for that home for a couple of years and I wish you would have done it a couple of years ago because you're right. It's hard now. I mean, you're looking for a four bedroom, you know, 2000 square foot home and you're looking in anywhere from, you know, 850 to 1.1, you know, like it's, it's, it's hard to find now within your, in your situation. However, I do believe as the homes start to hit the market and we're, we're starting to see a little bit, we're almost at 2,200 active listings on the market now. As homes start to heat, see the market and we see a little bit more of a correction, you might have that opportunity then. Um, and I'm not saying things or prices are going down, but you might have more selection and you might actually be able to negotiate this. So the days of, you know, having to pay well over asking and having to go into multiple offers all the time, I think not soon, but somewhat soon, 
I think those days might be over. I think as the inventory starts to hit the market, I think we might start to get back to a more normal balanced type of market. But until the inventory hits the market, until we can get more properties on the market, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, we're okay for the next year, let's say. So it's not a huge rush, but if worst comes to worst, I'll just build a house in that hill behind your office. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? There's yeah. there's not a lot of people in my office these days. Why don't you just move in? <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Connor. Bye. <laughs> hey, maybe like he Connor. maybe he could put a generator in. You won't have to buy one, Paul. There we go. There we go. No, Connor's uh, he's a smart kid. He's, he's in his uh, I wouldn't say he's low twenties, but he's in his twenties and he's he's done well for himself. You know, he's he's always asking bright questions and all about investing and real estate and all that. So smart kid. Yeah, it sure gets getting tougher and tougher to do it in your twenties these days, though. It is, yeah. it is, yeah. Especially with the income that these guys are making. I mean, like, you know, it, it takes a while now to establish your your high income earners. So we're starting to see the first time home buyers start to creep into their thirties now. Wow, that, that makes me feel younger. <laughs> 521 Talk, 521-8255. We'll be right back. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back to the phones we go. Say hello to Gonza in Ottawa. Hello, Gonza. Hey, uh, how are you doing? Doing great. Okay, uh, I had a question. Um there is a, a a property. It's a commercial property. I was wondering. I had a project two years down the line, and I was wondering. It's not at that location, but it's a different location. But I was wondering, uh, what could I do with a commercial property? Give it out on lease for a long term, or uh, sell it right now? Um, it's in the heart of the city. It's around uh, maybe 400 uh, square feet by 80 square feet. Is it just, is it a lot or is it a building? There is a building, but it's really uh, just a small building. But the lot is okay. uh, pretty big. What's the building used for though? Like right now, what's the building used for? Uh, nothing much, just it's empty. What, well, could, I what, what could it be used for? Uh, the building? Well, the building's pretty old. It's over 60 years old. Sell and get out? <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're somewhere. In Italy, that's a new home. Yeah, <laughs> in, Italy, in Italy, that's a brand new home. <laughs> um, yeah, I would probably, I mean, the commercial market, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I dabble in just a little bit of light commercial, but I do have a, I refer commercial agent to you um, if you want, if you want uh, a commercial agent. Um, but I would, uh, I mean, it's hard to know what's happening with the commercial market. There's some people that are saying as people are coming back to work, uh, people are looking for more space so they could separate people. And there's others that are saying that, you know, because of the commercial market, people working from home, that uh, it's commercial markets drying up. So I would refer you to a commercial agent, but my, my thought would probably be if the building's doing nothing and it's, 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 it's an older building, it's probably going to be a teardown. Um, I, I would probably lean towards selling it right now, to be honest with you, but I, I would refer to a commercial agent for that. Yeah. In your opinion, do you think the property's gone up the way re, uh, residential real estate has gone up in the last two years, in your opinion? I would say so. Like since I bought it, it's gone up twenty times. My neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't know. It all depends on, on, on your financial position. I mean, if you're, you know, if you need the money for something else, you know, right now it's yeah. just sitting there doing nothing. If you think it's going to continue to appreciate, yeah. then hang on to it. But if you need the money and you can invest it and and do something else with it and watch yeah. your money grow, then it might be time to sell it. But I, I'm with Paul. I mean, yeah, commercials, commercials need. Yeah, there was a project I was looking down the line, two years down the line, that I needed money for. But I was wondering, 
is it worth it to give out a property that's right in the heart of the city on a lease or just sell it out? Like well, you can't, lease, you, uh, well, you can't or something like that. Well, if you're going to, yeah. So if you're going to lease it, you want the building to be utilized, right? I mean, the, you, you want to get some, you know, it's, it's, and it's, how long it's, does that take Paul? How long does it take to find somebody and then make the building appropriate? And it's, it's not, it's not easy. Yeah. It's definitely not easy. I mean, you're going to spend lots of money on making the building appropriate. If you're going to lease it out to somebody. Um, and you know, the whole idea of a commercial or a residential investment is to actually make money on it. And right now, if the building's just sitting there empty and it's just a plot of land, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. You're not making money. But down the road, is it something you're going to build on? Or, I mean, I, if, you're, if it's if something where you don't have the funds to do something with it, I would be looking at selling it, letting okay. someone else take on the project. Thanks, Gonza. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, are we, are we going to see more commercial properties converted to residential, do you think, guys? It's, it's hard to tell. Like I said, I've talked to many commercial agents, and some are saying that, no, commercial's awesome. And I, I, let me preface this first. I don't do commercial, so I don't know. But the commercial agents I've talked to, some are saying, no, it's booming because people are now coming back to work. People are looking for space. Some people are looking for more space. And then another commercial agent I talked to, they'll be like, no, you know, people are going to be taking those commercials, making them residential, or people are not coming back to work. So it's like I look at my buildings right now, my West End building's a little, little more busy. My East End building is just quite empty, you know, and my thought is, do I sell? Do I just go rent something? Do I, or, do, or, work? or would you go smaller? <clears throat> oh, I definitely go smaller. Yeah. I definitely go smaller. The, the shift is not as much, is not as much bricks and mortar anymore. There's, especially in our business now, since the pandemic, when our, you know, we've really picked up the technology game. Um, there's so much we do now that we don't even need to be sitting at a desk. We don't need to be, you know, in an, in an office, we can be doing everything virtually by phones, by computers. Um, I personally still like going to the office. I like seeing people. I like, you know, networking with people. So I still like going to the office, but it's hard to tell Steve. I, I think you will start seeing some, some commercial buildings that turn into residential, uh, you know, as long as they can change the zoning, but I, you'll see some, some, some people doing that for sure. Yeah. It sounds weird, eh? but there's real estate companies out there without real estate. I mm -hmm. mean, they're virtual yeah. real estate companies. So. I'm one of the only agents in the city who has a company that actually owns my building too. Most of these other, you know, a lot of the other companies don't own their buildings. They rent their buildings. But my thought was always, you know, I'm in real estate. I buy real estate. I yeah. sell real estate. I don't rent real estate. I mean, I, I rent out, but I, I don't want to pay rent myself. So I own both my buildings. And support local. <laughs> and support local. Yes. And support local. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Frank, is yeah. Tuesday the day the Bank of Canada takes a peek at the rate again? It is Wednesday, I believe, Wednesday. June 1st, uh, Bank of Canada. Expected to go up by half a percentage point right now. The markets are trending in that direction. They're priced for that direction. The bond market, oddly enough, this week is uh, a slid a little bit. So the five-year bond uh, has slid by about a, almost a quarter of a percentage point over the last eight days. So uh, that's good news. And I think we're starting to see the cracks in the foundation. We're starting to see that the inflation's really starting to hit the average consumer, not only in Canada, but across the world. So, um, you know, bond markets are starting to feel that effect. I, it feels that way anyway for me, uh, you know, when I track it the way I do. Hey, Frank, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Um, because there, over the last probably two weeks, I've had this three times and two of them from realtors themselves. And I just assumed everybody knew about, about this. Bridge financing. I've actually, mm -hmm. I've actually had two realtors said, oh, well, we'll just bridge finance. I'm like, is the house sold? No. Okay, we well, can't bridge finance unless the house is sold. It made me realize, uh, even though it's a simple term for us, there's a lot of people that don't understand bridge finance. Can you explain bridge, bridge financing? 
Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Bridge financing is exactly what it is. It's a bridge between the closing dates being off with your sale and your purchase. If you haven't sold your home, there's no such thing as bridge financing because you haven't sold your home. A bridge is specifically, you've sold your home firm, not conditional, firm. So, you know, in, in you know a few years ago, people would sell their home, but, you know, the, the buyers would be conditional on them selling their home. Well, that's not sold. I mean, you know that that's not a sold house because you can still show it to other people. And then, you know, if somebody else makes them an offer on that house, then that, you know, the that person's got 24 hours to decide whether they're going to firm up their offer or not. So, but it's got to be a firm sale and a firm purchase. And then you can get bridge financing. Some lenders are up to 90 days. Most of the time, though, what we see is anywhere between seven to 15 days is your standard bridge. Unless you have to do work on, on, on the new house, some people will extend it to a month. So it gives them that time frame to do the work on the house. Not that expensive. People call me and say, oh my God, it's expensive. And I always say the bridge loan itself is not expensive. What you need to take into account is the fact that you own two homes and therefore you got two mortgage payments depending on how long it is. That's why the seven to 14 days kind of thing means that, yeah, you might have two homes, two mortgages, but realistically, I mean, you know, it's just a gap, you know, it's just a small gap. But if you're doing a bridge for longer, then you got to realize you're going to be making two mortgage payments, two property tax payments, two utility payments, two insurance payments. So that's the expensive part, not the bridge loan itself. It's just a great question. Great question, Poppy, because you're right. I mean, I get it from clients, too, who call me and say, we'll, we'll just do a bridge. I said, well, we can't do a bridge. You haven't sold your home. Yeah. What do you mean? My realtor told me that we'll just do a bridge loan. It's like, well, no, but your realtor doesn't understand that a bridge loan is all about having a firm sale. That's when you can do a bridge loan. Until then, you'd, you'd have to do a refinance. If you haven't sold your home, you actually have to refinance your home. That's, That's the funny. difference. It's it's funny that I just assumed everyone knew that, but it was when it was two yeah. realtors who actually brought that up. I'm like, you're in real estate. How do you not know that? Yeah, but anyway, well, again, so that's, I mean, it's... that's why I thought it'd be good for you to explain it. It's funny when you were explaining it then, and you're talking about conditional on a sale of a house and first refusals. I was like, God, I don't remember those days anymore. Yeah. But it wasn't that, that long ago. But it I wasn't know. that long ago, right? It was a couple of years ago, right before COVID. Yeah. That was a stand a common thing that you know you, you put an offer on a house you love. So again, I mean, you know, again, we've been kind of different the last, you know, 24, 36 months, right? Where you first you buy, then you sell. But it was never like that before. It was always first you sell your house, then you go out and buy. So yeah. you know, I think that's coming back at some point down the road, I, I would think, right? I think so too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, when we we start getting more listings on the market, I mean, right now we're at twenty one hundred and forty listings on the market. You know, when we're at like at this time, we should be at five, six, seven, eight thousand. I mean, that's where we should be, and we're way down where we should be. So it's, it, you know, those days are are, are not going to happen until we get the listings up again. And are they selling though this week, Paul? Yeah. So what we saw this week is actually new listings by week actually had a sharp drop, and I the reason I think it was a sharp drop was mainly because of the storm. There was a lot of people that just decided to hold off and not list their house, as I told you I was going to do with my girlfriends, but I decided to put it on anyways. Uh, the sold properties actually had a small increase and the average sale price actually had a small increase except for the condos. So the homes are still selling. But when I look at comparables now, there's either an area, like for example, when we, my girlfriend's area, she had very few homes on the market. And that's why we put our home on. But then I'll look at other areas that I'm like, wow, there's a ton of homes on the market in this area. And unfortunately, a lot of them are townhomes. There's a lot more townhomes right now for sale than there are single family homes. 
Hey, by the way, her house looks spectacular. You must have done all the designing, I'm guessing. I did. I did all the designing. <laughs> and uh, No, it's, you know what, though? I'll give her credit. And, and I think she might maybe go into this now because she realized how good she was at it. She's flipped homes uh, in the past, and she's done amazing jobs. I flipped lots of homes in the past. But what she did with this home was I could not see the vision. Like, when she, when she showed me the home that she bought, I was like, what? You're, uh, this is like, how are you ever going to make this place look good? And she actually made it look so good yeah. that it was just, it was unbelievable. She ripped out walls and did, redid bathrooms, kitchens, floors, all the electrical lighting, everything. She made it, she crushed it. Put it that way, she crushed it. And you know what? She got paid like she crushed it too. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, she's doing that in her personal life too. She makes you look good too. So, well, yeah. Well, you know, doesn't do it for we, houses we, only. We, we could only hope she could do a makeover on Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what? It's obviously, it obviously goes to show you that she has, that she makes great choices and, and she's, and she, yeah, she makes great choices and everything. Also, Clearly, she, she hasn't started working on you yet. Also, so, I, I, I can't wait to see that. It does go to show you, though, that not everybody's completely perfect. <laughs> 521 Talk 5218255. We'll be right back. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back to the show. Paul Rushforth here, Frank DePolitano. Guys, let me ask you this. Looks like the BC Real Estate Board's thinking of uh, implementing a three day cooling off period. What are your thoughts on that? Hate it. Hate three it. days is okay though, Paul. I mean, the only thing that I would say on three days is that it's, it's uh, you know, at, at first, when it first came out, it was seven days. And I thought that was, whoa, that's a long time, you know, for a cooling period. At least the three days is a reasonable amount of time where, you know, it doesn't, um, you know, you still got to put it back on the market, but at least it's not a week later. So, well, what happens here's, in a multiple bidding yeah, situation? Here's, well, here's the problem. What happens? So, when any anytime you take your house off the market, if it has to go back on, People think, what's wrong with it? It's stale now. Why did it back out? And it, you're, it's almost like a tarnished listing. And I just don't like it. The other thing this does is it gives you three days to find a better a better product. So like in those three days, you can still be shopping for homes, right? So it's, I, don't, I don't like it at all. I think it's, it's, it hurts. It really, really hurts sellers. And buyers, they know going in what they're willing to pay and what they're willing to spend. And if they go over that, well, then that, that's their fault. I mean, they know what they want to spend. And I just... I think it's going to hurt sellers once we take homes off the market and we have to put them back on the market. It's, it's, it puts a reputation on that building. So I just, I don't like it at all. What happens in a multiple offer situation? You know, you finally get that offer that you want. And then what happens two days later, they decide they don't want it. And then you start all over again. Well, and then the, what about the person who didn't win that multiple offer situation? Maybe they've gone and bought another house now. So now they're no longer in the multiple offer situation. So, you know, you could, it could cost sellers a lot of money because, you know, let's say you get to 150000 over asking and that person backs out and the next offer comes in, it's only 50000 over asking. You just yeah. lost $100,000 because somebody else went shopping for another home. Yeah, I'm, I, I I'm with you. I, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of somebody buying a house on impulse. If you're looking for a house, you're taking the time. You're doing your due diligence to see what you can afford. You know. Yeah, Which... absolutely. When I bought, when when my girlfriend and I just bought our house, we paid a dollar that we were comfortable paying. At the time, we said, you know what, we might have paid a little bit too much, but we're comfortable paying that dollar. But what happens now if the next day another house hits the market that looks like a better property, yep. and we could get it potentially at a better price, and we said, no, oh, let's jump on that one now. 
Yep. You know, then, then now the sellers the sellers screwed, right? Not so to I, mention first time home buyers who nine out of ten times have buyers remorse within twenty four hours, going, "Oh my God, what did we get ourselves into?" Right, Frank? Well, the, yeah, yeah. My only argument against what you're saying, Paul, is that it's no different than somebody putting a financing clause in for five days. Yeah. I mean, you got five days or a home inspection, so you know that three days isn't after you've waived financing, after you've waived your home inspection. It is three days, so it's really meant for somebody who puts in a cash offer. Or, uh, you know, what we're going through today, where you're having to put an offer in without conditions, at least from my perspective, at least anyway, from a buyer's perspective, and I know you're looking at the sellers, but from a buyer's perspective, if the market is trending in that direction, and you have to put in an offer without financing or with, without home inspection, at least it gives you that three-day period to get a home inspection done, and if it comes in crappy, then you can back out. Well, no, I don't think, no, no, that's not what they're saying, though, Frank. You can't No, it's a that. great, no, no, you can get out in three days. So I think you could do that in three days, I think. Well, you'd have to put in a home inspection clause. You couldn't just say, okay, here's my three-day cooling period. Now I'll bring in a home inspector. You have to have a home inspection clause in there. So that's the lot. same thing is what I'm saying, right? I, it, it would be Frank, the same Frank thing. Say, Frank's saying within the three days you get to bring your inspector in is what he's saying. Well, no, no, you actually have, so... If you're in a multiple offer situation and someone puts a home inspection in there, they're not getting that multiple offer. Right. So what they're saying is anyone that goes in firm, you have three days to back out. But in that period, you can't bring in a home inspector. You can't. Are you uh, sure? Like if that's the case, then that's crazy. It, 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 you can't bring in a home, unless you put a home inspection clause in there. But listen, if you put a home inspection clause in a multiple offer, you're not getting that. I'm sorry. You're just not getting that property. Yeah. So you, you basically have three days to go look for another property or... To you know, tell your have your friends say, "Whoa, you paid that for that house? That's way too much." And you and you back out. I think it hurts sellers. Now, if they said it's mandatory to do a home inspection and you have three days to do it, that's a different story. But if they just say, "No, if you go in firm, but over the next three days you have buyer's remorse, you can back out, no problem." I think that's absolutely asinine. Yeah, I, you know what? To, to be honest, I don't see it either. I mean, it's not you're not going out to buy a motorcycle when you're forty. You know, as an impulse, it's a house. Uh, I did buy a motorcycle last year. <laughs> <laughs> last of a year? How long did you have it for a year? No, I bought it when I was younger. I, I bought a Harley. <laughs> never, never driven a bike in my life, and I went and bought a huge Harley. And uh, it lasted. To be honest, when my kids were young, and I, they were jumping all over, it and it was getting dusty, and I I ended up selling it, which I regret. <laughs> Birthdays, Frank. Yeah, got a couple. Uh, obviously, uh, the other thing I want to say is a loyal listener of ours, uh, Bell Media employee, Leslie Roberts, last day yesterday. So congrats to Leslie. He's going to spend some more time with his daughter, which is awesome. So uh, uh, again, loyal listener, uh, congrats uh, on everything you've done, Leslie. Uh, Maria Maria Sack and Kathy Finley from our office. Kathy Finley, hopefully he's coming back. She's had a health uh, issue celebrating their birthdays this week. Um, Louis Sousa, my good friend Louis Sousa from Canada Retirement, celebrating his birthday, and my mom celebrating her 87th birthday. Nice. Bon compleanno, mama. Uh, 87. Happy birthday. 87. Yeah. What, yeah. Frank, what Frank said, yeah. I do. I do. I have a, uh, a couple things. I have James Daly, uh, who's one of my complete unbelievable agents. Um, he celebrates eight years with the company on June 1st. And um, Paul Deke, another one of my great agents, uh, has a birthday on June 3rd. I believe that's next Saturday. So happy birthday, Paul, and congrats, James. Hey, your golf tournament coming up in uh, just a couple of months, even less, actually. Uh, one of the great things I like are the auction items. You got enough this year? 
We could use some more, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, we, we have one sponsorship left. It's a small sponsorship if anyone wants to sponsor a hole and get a foursome. Uh, but we are looking for silent auction as well as live auction items. If anyone uh, has anything they'd love to uh, to donate to great cause, our charities are our, our OSEG and the Orleans Cumberland Resource Center. Uh, you know, we're responsible for a large part of their budget, the Orleans Center or the Orleans Cumberland Resource Center. So, I mean, we, we'd love to raise as much money as we can. So, anyways, anyone, anything to donate, uh, we would love to talk to you and uh, we'd love or, love to help. Thank hey, you, Steve, I think we should we should auction off maybe Paul buying breakfast. We should auction that <laughs> off, maybe. <laughs> that, that'd, go for, that'd go for a lot because I'm oh, so used yeah. to buying it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. With all uh, the money you saved, it'd be a hell of a breakfast. <laughs> yeah, sure what? Hey, by the way, when are we getting, when are we getting back in the studio? This Hopefully soon. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Have a great week, gentlemen. Uh, have a great week. Support have local great. businesses, charities, everyone. Yeah, absolutely.